Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The Bible lists the characteristics that should be seen in the life of a believer. How can you ensure that they're part of your life? One word holds the key. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah wraps up his series, The Power of Love, with a look at agape love as described in 1 Corinthians 13. From the series, The Power of Love, here's David to introduce the power and priority of love. Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, last uh, message in the series that we have um, been involved in for the whole month of September. You know, friends, not long ago, we were doing a series for television and uh, we decided to do an interview at the beginning of the series to kind of capture the essence of the whole series. Uh, Sheila Walsh helped us do that, and it became something that we cannot ever not do. It was so powerful, and people responded to it so well. We ran it at the beginning of the series, then we ran it again at the end of the series, and all that was in between was kind of captured and summarized, and and it was just a great thing. So we have decided to do that today for this series. We're going to end the series going back to the very first broadcast uh, several weeks ago when I laid out what we were going to talk about and we discovered how important love really was, the power and priority of love. And so today, here is that message. And I hope now that we've been through this series, it will mean even more. One of the problems that we encounter when we address the subject of love is that there are many different definitions of the term. The King James Version referred to love by the term charity. And in the time of the writing of the scripture, there were basically four different words that were used to describe what we describe by the one term love in our society today. The first and most common word in the Greek times was the word eros, E-R-O-S. Eros, as you can well imagine, has to do with physical, sensual love. Then there is a second word for love, and that is the word storge, and we spell that in the transliteration into English, S-T-O-R-G-E. Storge is a kind of love that speaks of family ties. Sometimes it is used in Greek literature even of animals as well as people. It is often found in describing the relationship of a parent with his child, that kind of filial relationship. Then there is a third word which we pronounce in the Greek language by the word phileo, spelled out it's P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo. That is psychological, social love. And oftentimes in the scriptures, that word is translated by the word friend. You will find that in John 15, verses 13 and 14. There is nothing wrong with phileo love. It is important, even in a marriage relationship. 
How many of you have met people who are married who aren't even friends? And it's important to be friends within the marriage relationship, but there is a kind of love that is even greater than phileo love. Erotic love is the sensual relationship. Storge has to do basically with family relationship. Phileo means to be good friends and socially adaptable. But there is a fourth word which we have come to know as the word agape. You spell that in the English language A-G-A-P-E. And it is spiritual divine love. It is love that comes from God alone. There are very few things in the Bible that are equated totally with God. But the Bible says God is agape. God is love. Whatever you understand about God is wrapped up in the term agape in this fourth and highest sense of the term love. I want to give you several reasons why love is a priority for us to understand. Reason number one, the priority of love in the Word of God. Number one, love is God's priority commandment. It is God's first priority commandment. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Somebody asks you, what is the number one concept in the word of God for us to understand? Let me tell you, it is the concept of agape love. It is God's first commandment. Some of you say, well, that's just quoting the Old Testament. Let me share something with you. In the New Testament alone, Christians are commanded to love 55 different times just in the New Testament. We're not only picking it up from the Old Testament, but in the New Testament alone, 55 different times we are told to love. Love is the priority commandment. Reason number two, love is the perfect gift. Right here in the context that we're studying, verse 31, Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet I show unto you, what? A more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way? You're about to learn 1 Corinthians 13 is better than the gifts. Paul has been teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 all about how the gifts and how they fit together and how you're supposed to make sure that you don't get out of balance. And he spent all this time talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And at the end of this discussion, he says, now having said all of that, I want to tell you something that's more important than all that I've said. Here's the better way. Here's the perfect gift. You master agape and you'll have it. Love is not only the priority commandment and the perfect gift, but number three, love is the preeminent grace. It is everywhere evident to us that it is first in the heart of God. Galatians 5.22, listen to this. And the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, right at the top of the list. 
1 Corinthians 13, 13, right here in the text. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the preeminent grace. It's as if God were saying to us, if you could have any one quality about your life, if you could choose out of all of the various areas of the fruit of the Spirit or the graces of the Christian experience, if you could have any one of them, let me tell you which one to choose. Choose love, for that is the preeminent grace. That will help you to be what I want you to be, because you see, love is what God is. Love is the embodiment of God himself. Number four, love is an important study, not only because it is the priority commandment and the perfect gift and the preeminent grace. But number four, love is an important study because love is the permanent virtue. Notice verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. And watch what it says. Prophecies, they'll be done away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it shall vanish away. But love, Oh, love never fails. It's the permanent virtue. Love is the priority commandment and the perfect gift and the preeminent grace and the permanent virtue. Number five, love is the proof of our sonship. John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. Reason number six Love is the prerequisite to faith. Faith which worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. Love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. 1 Timothy 1, 5. Love is the proof of sonship and love is the prerequisite to faith. And number seven, love is the path upon which Christians must walk. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And reason number eight. Love is the prescription for happy homes, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also hath loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5.28. Even so ought men to love their wives. Why are we going to take time to study 1 Corinthians 13 in depth? Let me remind you again that this whole chapter is an exposition of a concept which, according to the Word of God, is the priority commandment. It is the perfect gift. It is the preeminent grace. It is the permanent virtue. It is the proof of sonship. It is the prerequisite to faith. It is the path upon which Christians must walk, and it is the prescription for a happy home. How better could we spend our time during these days than learning what God means when he talks about agape, love? Now that brings us down to this passage itself. That kind of sets the greater context for 1 Corinthians 13. So out of that greater context now we zero in on this very beautiful passage which is an explanation of love. Let me tell you a few things about 1 Corinthians 13. First of all, it is a precise passage, a very precise passage. For instance, only 13 verses. That's why you can all memorize it. It's easy. Just three paragraphs, 
And yet in this brief passage in 1 Corinthians 13, even those who have studied it from a secular viewpoint, who don't even know the Lord, who don't even know our God, they have said that 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest treatise on love found anywhere in the world of literature. And there is nothing that is even close to it in second place. But not only is 1 Corinthians 13 precise in its description, but it is secondly problematic in its context. Now, oftentimes 1 Corinthians 13 is interpreted quite apart from the rest of 1 Corinthians. But I want you to see 1 Corinthians 13 and how vitally and strategically located it is in the Word of God. First of all, we already have discovered that Corinth was a place where love was needed. It was desperate for some kind of demonstration of God's kind of love. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 7 says they lacked none of the gifts. They were way out in front of all the other churches. They were the greatest church in terms of gift endowment. But though they had all the gifts, they had almost none of the graces. There was no patience among the people in the assembly. They envied each other's gifts continually. They were proud and critical. The people had no modesty or humility. They clamored after their own rights. They rejoiced at sin when they should have judged sin. No wonder Paul had to write this passage. Well, where is 1 Corinthians 13? Chapter 12, the gifts are bestowed. Chapter 14, the gifts are exercised. In the middle of the bestowal of the gifts and the exercise of the gifts, Paul drops 1 Corinthians 13. In between, he teaches that love alone can safeguard the use of our gifts and our abilities. When love is missing, the gift is meaningless, as we shall see in a few moments. No wonder when Paul was about ready to discern and to teach chapter 13 he said in chapter 12 verse 31 I show you a more excellent way and notice what's on the other side of 1 Corinthians 13 I kind of think these are the bookends of the chapter chapter 12 verse 31 I show you a more excellent way chapter 14 verse 1 follow after love in between is the 13th chapter now let me give you a simple outline of chapter 13, which will help us as we work our way through these verses. There are just three sections. Almost every expositor, every Bible teacher has noted these sections. I've given them my own names. There are other names you can use, but here are the three categories of 1 Corinthians 13. First of all, verses 1 through 3, the preeminence of love. Secondly, verses 4 through 7, the practice of love. Thirdly, verses 8 through 13, the permanence of love. Now let's just take the first three verses as we wrap all of this introductory study up and look at them very briefly. The preeminence of love. Now, I want you to note several things that I have outlined in the first three verses that hold the verses together. First of all, Three times in verses 1 through 3, we have the phrase, but do not have. Let's notice that together. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not, verse 1. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so I can remove mountains, 
and have not. There it is again. And in the third verse, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, and have not. Those three things are kind of linked together in these three verses. These verses are going to tell us what we will be like if we don't have love in some certain areas of our lives. Then the second thing I want you to note is five times in these three verses, the phrase, though I, is found. Though I speak with the tongues of men and have not love, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I have all faith, though I bestow all my goods, though I give my body, all of those are introductions to the various things in life which are empty without love. And then the third grammatical thing I want you to note in the study as we kind of do a little inductive work here is that three times in these first three verses there is a statement concerning what it is we have if we don't have love. Verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Verse 2. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. In essence, what Paul is saying in the first three verses as we deal with the preeminence of love is this. If I don't have love in my life, no matter what gifts I have, I am becoming nothing, I am nothing, and I will profit nothing. I will be worthless in the work of God without agape, the sacrificial love that comes from God himself. And he uses now these illustrations to make his point. Illustration number one, eloquence or words without love are nothing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding bronze or a tinkling cymbal. The apostle here says that when we speak without love, the words are like the jarring sound of a gong. Words without love are nothing. Have you ever felt them? Secondly, Paul goes on to say that if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have not love, I am nothing. He has already established in verse 5 of chapter 14, or will establish, that prophecy is the greatest gift. Notice what he says. I would that ye all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues. The greatest gift in Paul's estimation was the fourth telling of the word prophecy. But here he says that if you have great prophetic ability and you don't have any love, you're worthless. Once again, Koopman has helped us when he wrote these words. If I have detailed foreknowledge of the millennium and can properly identify every beast and horn in the book of Revelation, but have not love, I am nothing. <laughs> He goes on to say, thirdly, that wisdom without love is nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 says that knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. <laughs> knowledge and wisdom without love is zero. 
And then Paul goes on and says that works without love are nothing. Good works without love are done for our own glory. It's possible to do a lot of good works, to give money. The whole concept of philanthropy out there in the world is in order that they might gain attention for themselves. But benevolence without love is not going to amount to anything at all. And then I think the strongest argument in the whole passage is at the end of the third verse. This is really something, isn't it? Martyrdom without love is nothing. Watch this. And if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Is it possible that anybody would ever do that? History records that they have done it. Even in our generation, we have seen people go on hunger strikes, lock themselves up in a room, refuse to eat in order to gain attention for some cause. And Paul says if we do all of that and we don't have any love in our hearts, it's worthless. Somebody copied down the following paraphrase from a well-worn carbon in the billfold of a 30-year missionary. With her husband, this missionary was on her way to another tour of duty in Khartoum, Sudan. No one seems to know who authored it, but whoever it was captured the essence of the greatest essay on love ever written, especially as it relates to those who are missionaries. If I have the language ever so perfectly and I speak like a pundit and have not the love that grips the heart, I am nothing. If I have decorations and diplomas and am proficient in up-to-date methods and have not the touch of understanding love, I am nothing. If I am able to worst my opponents in argument so as to make fools of them and have not the wooing note, I am nothing. If I have all faith and great ideals and magnificent plans and wonderful visions and have not love that sweats and bleeds and weeps and prays and pleads, I am nothing. If I surrender all prospects and leaving home and friends and comforts give myself to the showing sacrifice of a missionary career and turn sour and selfish amid daily annoyances and personal slights of a missionary life. And though I give my body to be consumed in the heat and sweat and mildew of India and have not the love that yields its rights, its coveted leisure, its net plans, I am nothing. Nothing. Virtue has ceased to go out of me. If I can heal all manner of sickness and disease, but wound hearts and hurt feelings for want of love that is kind, I am nothing. If I write books and publish articles that set the world agape and fail to transcribe the word of the cross in the language of love, I am nothing. Worse, I may be competent, busy, fussy, punctilious, and well-equipped but like the church of Laodicea, I am nauseating to Christ. End of quote. It is possible, according to 1 Corinthians 13, to be even at the top level of Christian service, respected, looked to, admired by all who know you, and not have that indispensable ingredient by which God has chosen to work in his world today the absolutely sacrificial agape love of the eternal God. 
Well, thank you so much for being with us as we have gone through these verses and taken every path that was suggested to us by the great apostle. And uh, we now have studied it, and there's still an, uh, an availability of a study guide and a series of CDs that you can get so you can review it. You may want to use it in your small group. I encourage you to make love a study. Because when you do, you will discover how important it is for us to obey this command and love one another, especially loving our partners in marriage. Friends, on Monday, uh, we begin a new series here on Turning Point Radio based on a brand new book that will be released into the bookstores in October. Uh, This book is called The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. And we begin teaching that on Monday as people get the book. They'll be reading it and they'll be hearing it. We'll be uh, sharing it on television and many other ways to convey this important message. We are in a very difficult place as a culture, as a nation, as a church. What is the answer? What is there to look forward to? Friends, this book is the answer. It tells you what's going to happen in the future how you are going to be a part of it, what you need to do to make sure you're ready. And uh, I hope you will be with us on Monday and that you'll get a copy of this book as soon as you can. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024, focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as Sheila Walsh and Dr. Jeremiah discuss the series The Great Disappearance on Turning Point. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Theologian Paul Tillich noted how the English language has captured the two sides of being alone. We use the word lonely to express the negative, even painful side of being alone. But we use the word solitude to express the positive side of being alone. 
Two people might both be alone, but view their experience in opposite ways. When Jesus went by himself to pray, he wasn't lonely. Rather, he was enjoying a moment of solitude. In fact, he wasn't actually alone since he was meeting with his heavenly Father in prayer. Even if we are alone, God is with us. He's promised never to leave us. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's presence on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.